Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm Senior Editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking with John Shire, who is Senior Security Advisor with Sophos. And we are going to be talking about the malware as a service commodity market, what the security practitioner needs to know, how he needs to strategize his security, and how he needs to strategize his spend, his investment in security to meet some of these threats. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Varun. So, John, first thing I'd like to ask you, just to set some context, what is malware as a service? What are the different uh, you know, areas uh, that kind of fit into it? And what does this mean for the security community? Right. So malware as a service really is a catch-all term for any kind of kit that you can buy that either allows you to create a piece of malware or help you deliver a piece of malware. So I'll give you some examples. You can have, let's say, exploits as a service, which are usually cloud-based, but this is a collection of exploits on a server somewhere that you get diverted to that exploits your machine and then delivers some additional malware. There's things like ransomware as a service, where the actual program itself, the binaries that will eventually do the encryption and infect your computer are created for you by an author and then either resold through cloud-based services or as a kit. There could be things like keyloggers or office document builders that help you take bad code, stuff it into a decoy document, which then you could maybe use a Fisher's services, which can be thought of as, as well as a service, right, right. Uh, to then eventually deliver that to uh, somebody's computer. So all of these things together fall under the umbrella of malware as a service. Right. So you don't really need to be a hardcore hacker or a really techie person. You can be a script kiddie and you can just go and buy these things off the internet and put something together. So it's that commoditized now. That's exactly the point. It's kind of left the hands of the quote-unquote experts that are creating the malware and delivering it into the hands of people that have maybe a little bit of money to spend in their pocket and some criminal intent. You don't need a lot of technical know-how. Many of these come with very easy-to-use and comprehend GUIs and or even just you know, one-line, command-line scripts. And you can launch a cyber attack by even stitching a bunch of these together. Right. So what are the different areas? Let's delve into some of the different areas. Like you mentioned, phishing is also a service that's provided. Mm -hmm. I think malvertising is a service that's provided. Mm -hmm. You have attack tools, attack infrastructure that's provided as a service. So, and ransomware, of course, we mentioned yes. that. So what are some, if we can delve into some of these different areas, how that works? So let me talk about exploits or you know, exploit kits, exploits as a service, because they tend to pull in a lot of the different other services that are involved. And, uh, and then we can maybe talk specifically about something like ransomware as a service, which is maybe the end goal or the end product of, of an infection chain. Exploit kits or exploits as a service, uh, as I've previously mentioned, is, is a way to leverage the cloud to uh, basically exploit a machine, as the name implies, by leveraging a vulnerability that might exist on either the operating system, the browser, some of the plugins in that browser, or even some software such as Java, for example, or some of the Adobe software, we've seen that being used as well. And the way it works is you somehow get redirected to a exploit as a service site. It will scan your machine to determine what OS you're running, what version it is, and what other packages might be running on there that it can exploit. And then launch a whole bunch of different exploits at you, hoping it triggers a vulnerability. Right. And that relies obviously on people not being patched. The way you get there can be through something like malvertising, as you just mentioned. So now you've got a, a malvertising campaign that is might be run by one criminal, which uses exploits as a service to compromise a machine, which will deliver something like ransomware, which could be another disconnected criminal. The exploit authors, the people that are feeding these exploits into the kits, 
are kind of customers or vendors, if you will. It's more like vendors of the exploit kit admin, who's the one that's sort of the center of this and bringing all this criminal element together. You've got traffic directing services, which is the people that are responsible for compromising web servers and reselling that access as a gateway into the criminal's exploit kits. And then you've, along with the malvertisers, you've got the fishers and spammers that are also sending in a bunch of material into your inbox, whether it's a link or an attachment that can also lead you back to one of these exploit kits. The payload, we mentioned ransomware, is only one, depending on who the customer is and the region that is being impacted. So you might say that for people in North America, they get ransomware, but for people in Sub-Saharan Africa, we'll turn them into spam bots, for example, right? Because the economics of it are that people in North America are more likely to be able to afford the ransom than somebody in Sub-Saharan Africa. Sure. So that's how this whole kind of ecosystem comes together in one tidy little package, but it's it's all individual pieces that operate as a service or as a kit that you can buy that's easy to use and really helps you act like a nation state actor in some cases. Right. So you know, you're talking about all these different pieces come together. You have all these discrete actors, discrete uh, services being provided by different criminals, and you don't even need to be able to write code. Right. right. All you need to do is pay the dollar or the Bitcoin or whatever it is and get all yes. these things, pieces together and know how to do that. Uh, so it strikes me that, you know, some of these, uh, this hierarchy you have in the cyber criminal underground, it kind of emulates some of these real world business models, right? You have an organization today that's outsourcing staff, mm-hmm. that's getting services from different places, packaging it all together and giving it to you as a service. So how do you think that has happened? How, how has the cyber criminal underground evolved to such a level of maturity? I think part of it, if we look at just cybercrime, malware, the threat landscape in general as as it's evolved over time, you have these distinct actors behind certain pieces of malware and they kind of keep that all to themselves and they profit on what they can based on the campaigns that they launch. And we've seen it over time. Everything's gotten commoditized in the threat landscape, just as we've seen a lot of protective technologies sort of get commoditized over time. Um, And what I believe that cyber criminals realized is, and they've been using this affiliate sort of model for a little while now, when it, especially uh, when it came to uh, the the affiliate scam for something like fake AV, which was you know quite big in the early 2000s. Uh, what they've come to realize is that I can spread my reach by providing the kit, the technology itself, and I'll just take a cut of the profit. So for me to be able to scale my operation from you know impacting tens of thousands of machines to tens of millions of machines may not be, I might, I might not be able to do that off of my own sweat, right? So why not recruit other people? Now, when you've got that kind of partnership, right, you need to have some sort of proper infrastructure to deal with all of the the money coming in, the support needs of your partners. And so you kind of, as I'm talking here, you're probably getting a sense that this kind of starts to sound like a business, as you said, right? And so these people do try to operate in a profitable way. So the operational costs of what they're doing have to be below the actual income that they're getting. And the delta, the the gap between the two is their profit. If you want to make money, you have to think in those terms. You can't just throw stuff out there and hope that the money starts rolling in. You have to have some control over the product. You have to have some control over the dissemination of that product. And so I think that's why the cyber criminals and the organized crime guys got it in there first. They, they realized how to do this. But I think a lot more people, a lot more cyber criminals are starting to get that sense as well and are leveraging a more traditional model when it comes to trying to make money. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like Keynesian economics, right? Division of labor. Okay, right. I can't do the whole piece. Let's, let's break it up. So you have professional cyber criminals 
criminal organization and we keep talking about how the cyber criminals are coordinating so well they're organizing so well and they're able to work together collaborate so well you don't see that on the defender side of things there's a lot of asymmetry there i mean even within an organization there are so many silos that a security professional sure. or a team needs to work with the obvious question there would be what can we do on this side given the landscape right now how can a security practitioner look at reasonably securing his organization against these threats so i like to say that uh, you know crime is organized so we should organize our defense as right. well right and uh, so the coordinated attacks need a coordinated defense i think a lot of it starts with uh, the CISO role because they have visibility or should have visibility into all parts of the business and part of that coordination is understanding where the business risk lies and so if you're a financial services company or you're a healthcare provider or you're a manufacturer of goods you're going to have differing needs and the risks are going to be different for each organization it's important for each CISO to understand what those risks are for their organization once we understand those risks and when, once we understand what parts of the business are the most important then we can start coordinating a response and coordinating a defense based off of those needs so part of a coordinated defense and you mentioned things about maybe the vendor space needing some coordination as well so you're starting to see that more and more now in the infosec space whereas there used to be many many point products doing different things you're starting to see a lot more vendors bringing together a product offering that helps organizations provide a coordinated defense with one platform, one framework. And and that's really where the coordinated defense is going to impact and determine how well you can respond to a coordinated attack. So basically what you're saying is understand the threat understand your risk profile and then set up a defense accordingly right exactly yeah so there's like three different things you can think about when talking about a coordinated defense as people there's processes and policies and tools and the tools are the things that do all that automated response do all the protection for you and also obviously you know gather a lot of information gather a lot of threat intelligence in your network that's something that i think a lot of people sometimes overlook when they think threat intelligence they think of buying somebody else's feet well guess what every organization out there has their own threat intelligence feed it's just all the data that's being gathered by your firewalls your routers your web gateways your endpoints that's threat intelligence and more importantly that's threat intelligence that's relevant to you because it's happening in your organization right. then you've got the the policies and the procedures that dictate how things are deployed how things are managed how you respond to specific incidents within the organization and then the people who craft these policies the people who run these tools are there to ensure that the tools are working correctly, that they're doing their job, that the policies are right for the organization, and that the policies and the tools kind of work in conjunction with each other so that if something does happen, we can maybe change our policy and respond differently the next time, respond better, respond faster, right? But the people aren't only the people in the security team. They're everybody that's in your organization that can potentially impact the security of your business. And that's why it's important to have in every organization, every organization is a security company, every organization is a software company, make the people that work within the organization organization understand that and participate in keeping the business safe. Mm. So if you have a security team of 10 in a business of 5,000, you really have a security of team of 5,000. That's, that's how I like to look at it. 
Right. But is it really feasible? I mean, for example, take the example of a high definition kind of phishing attack. Yes. Even a security practitioner is going to get fooled by it. Absolutely. Class, right. So can you really train the users to be to secure the organization then? It's really difficult to train your way out of falling for a phishing attack because as you very well said, when you've got high definition phishing, it looks just as legitimate and just as believable as an email from your colleague. As a matter of fact, it might be an email from your colleague because their credentials got compromised. But what's important is there might be a point where you click on that link and you start filling in your credentials and maybe you hit the submit button and then you realize, I think I just got phished. Instead of keeping quiet, that's when you engage the security team right away without fear of recrimination or reprimand from the security team. That's the important piece here. As a security practitioner, be thankful that that user alerted you to that problem right away because now you know that if they fell for it, maybe 20 more people in your organization did and you can start putting your rapid response plan into action right right away. Right, right. So awareness is not everything, but it's basic hygiene. Yes. It's the foundation to good basic security. You've been doing a lot of research on uh, malware as a service, exploit as a service, the entire marketplace that exists. So this commodity marketplace for tools and attack infrastructure, if you were a black hat, if you were somebody who's going to launch this commodity attack, what does the attack chain look like? What are the different stages? How do you do it? You could do it very simply, uh, where let's just take ransomware and uh, leveraging a ransomware as a service kit or site, because you you do have standalone kits, and then there's also cloud-based sites that offer this as well. You could do very simply by creating a binary through the service and then emailing it to a bunch of people, you know, buying an email list and just spamming them out yourself. Or you could go very complex, and and this is something that um, I've been talking about a lot lately, which is a garden variety cyber criminal behaving more like a nation-state actor or an organized crime actor in a more complex, staged way. So to give you an example, I have bit of money in my pocket, I go and I buy some stolen credit cards. I can use a service that converts the credit card money into Bitcoin. Right now I've got Bitcoins. I can go on the dark web and I can start purchasing tools and services. Maybe one of the services I purchase is a spamming server. That gives me my distribution vector. Okay, now what I want to do is I want to deploy a payload. So I'm going to buy an office kit builder, which is going to allow me to take malware and shove it into an office document and exploit a machine. And the malware I'm going to put in there is botnet code. So I'm going to turn every machine that gets infected with my maldoc into a bot. Now I've got a foothold and I can control that. I can turn that into maybe a side business in and of itself. I can rent out that botnet to somebody who wants to DDoS people in India. Or I can turn that botnet into uh, a bunch of, some of them into SOX proxies so I can route my traffic through the internet with a little more confidence. Or in the case that we're just talking about, I can say, well, I want to send ransomware to everybody in Germany. And so in my botnet dashboard, I can see where all the IPs are coming from. I can actually click a button that shows me a Google maps pin of where everybody's coming from, pick all the people from Germany, and then do a download and execute task on their machine where I'm going to grab the binary that I built in my ransomware as a service kit, feed that into the task for download and execute. Now all of those machines are infected with ransomware and that's another income stream for myself. So you can see that just the attack chain right there was something that was stitched together using readily available kits that are fairly affordable. And some of the kits are around $400 and I can start making money. And then the, the exit game is I can take those Bitcoins put them through laundering or tumbling services or mixing services as they call them, get out clean Bitcoins, and I can transfer those Bitcoins into cash by a variety of different means. One of them is buying stolen merchandise that I can then auction off on an auction site to get real money out of it. So this whole ecosystem is, to me, very fascinating, but also is a good indication of why it's important in cybersecurity to understand the entirety of the threat, as we've said before, so you can mount a coordinated response. Ransomware is one threat 
threat. It's very visible, but it's only one threat. If you put all your eggs in the ransomware or anti-ransomware basket as it would be, then you're probably turning your eye away from every other threat that's going to potentially impact you. So quickly, off the top of your head, you're right in the thick of all this. Mm -hmm. What gives you most concern? Probably the most concern I have is the way that the cyber criminals, the garden variety cyber criminals are starting to behave like nation states in some respects, and the way the nation states are starting to use the tactics of garden variety cyber criminals. The picture is getting blurry. Most of the big nation state attacks start with a phishing campaign. Some of them are opportunistic, a lot of them are targeted. That was really the purview of the garden variety cyber criminal to steal credentials. But now, because of that tactic and because of, again, high definition phishing, as we mentioned before, that is starting to become the avenue by which these nation-state attackers are getting into companies. There was um, a, a great talk by the lead of the Tailored Access Operations Group, which is the NSA's hackers, right? right? Who said just what I'm saying today. He said, you know, we don't need zero days. We don't need complex attacks anymore because things like phishing and the fact that people don't patch just work. And so that blurring of lines and, and the grabbing of different tools like we saw in the NotPetya attack, right? Taking some legitimate tools like PS Exec and taking some pen test tools like Mimikatz along with an exploit and then some off-the-shelf ransomware code and bringing all those things together is I think the next frontier of attacks that we're going to see. Fascinating stuff, John. Thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. So that was John Shire, who's Senior Security Advisor with Sophos. For ISMG, this is Varun Harun. Thanks for listening.